Good morning, Chapel Hill. Well, let's just keep that going for a couple hours. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one as we jump back into our study of Romans chapter 8. So if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you do not have a Bible of your own and you're receiving one of these Bibles that are being handed out, just keep it, please. Just keep it and make it your own and dig into it with us and see what God has for you there. Uh, I've been gone for the last week, been down at Camp Victory with uh, an incredible team of students and leaders uh, that I am very, very proud of. It was an amazing week. God did some incredible things through them in a trailer park in Rochester. Um, The impact that they had on the kids there in that community was tremendous. Um, I was at Camp Victory as the camp speaker, and it was a great week. Three different groups of campers that I spoke to all week, and um, there were about 80 kids at camp that made decisions for Jesus, and it was just a beautiful time. Um, There are more, too, at the trailer park as well, and um, I'm going to let that there will be a report coming on that trip, and so you'll get to hear more details, and I'll, I'll wait until then. Um, felt like I was gone for a month. It was really weird. <laughs> Came back, and everything was new, and it's like, oh, what's happened here? And yes, it was a strange thing. Um, five days turned into 40 days. It was just amazing, um, but God did some incredible things. Um, okay, going back a couple of, e- of weeks, um, we started talking about who the Holy Spirit is, Um, So that we have a foundation to work with in Romans chapter 8 when Paul talks about the Spirit over and over and over again. And then last week we got into a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? And we talked about four things in general. We talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers. We talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit purifies. The Holy Spirit reveals. And the Holy Spirit unifies. We talked about um, different ways that that happens, and I promised you that I would send out a document with my notes from last week, um, with the information and all of that scripture that I covered last week, and I will. Um, I couldn't do it this past week. I had an excuse. Um, But I will get it out soon, and you will have it in your hands. Now, with a very basic understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, who God's Spirit is, is we can move forward into Romans 8 together. And that does not mean that we're done looking at the identity and the mission of God's Spirit. We're going to do some more of that even this morning. So turn to Romans chapter 8. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are going to start again at the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to read through the first eight verses together. Um, They should be read together. So Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Today, our focus is verses 5 through 8. But in order to grasp what's being said in verses 5 through 8, we need to stand on verses 1 through 4. And there are some critical, critical truths that span these eight verses. And we're going to look at some of those truths today. Truth number one, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We have been set free by Jesus. We've been saved by Jesus. He rescued us. And when that happened, when we came to saving faith in Christ, when we put our trust in him, we were placed by God in Christ. Verse 2 says that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. Through Jesus, we've been justified, we've been cleansed, we've been made clean, and we've been made acceptable to God. Now, I have this fishbowl up here this morning, and I want to use the fishbowl as kind of a, a bit of a, an object lesson of what I'm talking about. We're, we're going to talk about two different realities here um, that tie together perfectly well. And so what I want to do is demonstrate that we are in Christ. And I have uh, Hulk Hogan here to demonstrate that for me. Hulk's going to go in Christ. And yes, there's an inside joke that's going on here. But I chose Hulk Hogan because he's a wrestler and... This, this whole concept of us being in Christ is not over just because we're in Christ. There's a lot going on here once we are in Christ. And if you can't see this from the very back, I'm going to put the picture up on the screen as well so you know what's going on here. Hulk Hogan is in Christ right now. And it's a wrestler because even when we're in Christ... There are things that we wrestle with. And Paul is addressing that here in Romans chapter 8. That there is some wrestling going on even though we are in Christ. And I'll come back to this in a little bit and talk about what happens in Christ, in here. I'll talk about what this means. This is our position. We are in Christ as we become followers of Jesus Christ. We're placed in Christ by God. We have been declared righteous by God through the work of Jesus Christ. We are positionally righteous. Remember that, positionally righteous. When we were placed in Christ by God, we received God's spirit. God came to live in us by his spirit. The spirit that Paul's talking about here. God the Holy Spirit. We are called now by God to walk, to live according to the Spirit. In verses 4 and 5, he hits this. In verse 4, he talks about walking according to the Spirit. In verse 5, living according to the Spirit. And the contrast that Paul sets up here to walking according to the Spirit is walking according to the flesh. Our flesh once lived according to the law of sin and death. But we have been set free now in Christ from that law. Jesus came in the flesh because the flesh needed to be judged. The flesh needed to die. And the flesh, as Paul said in here, weakened the law. It weakened God's law. Okay, what was the purpose of the law? And we need to be really clear on this. 
What was the purpose of God's law? The purpose of God's law was redemption. It's always been redemption. God wanted his people back. And so he put his law into place to bring us back to him and to restore us is God's creation. To bring us back and restore us. But as Paul says, the desires of man's flesh weaken the law. He says that in verse 3. So Jesus came and he took the punishment of the flesh on his own flesh. He became the sacrifice for the mistakes that we make in our flesh. Now we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We are positionally righteous. Positionally, we are where we were meant to be. We're in Christ. Let's look at a a second truth. A new law was introduced. God introduced a new law. The law of the Spirit became our new law. And let me just acknowledge this before we go on. Are you struggling with the word law? I do sometimes. I do. And I know it's my selfish human side. It's the, I'm not going to submit to somebody else's law thing. I think that's part of our sinful nature. We all do that. Remember that the law is God's way of bringing us back to himself and shaping us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And anything that can accomplish those things sounds incredibly, absolutely, incredibly awesome to me. I want that. So if you need to, work at painting yourself for yourself in your mind a new picture of law. Because we see oppression, God doesn't see that. God sees redemption. Paint yourself a new picture of what the law means. Verse 2, Paul writes, The law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ made us, followers of Jesus, saved by grace, positionally righteous, the way that we should be positionally in Christ. The law of sin and death. The law of sin and death had this pattern. Sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. Sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. Sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. And on and on and on it went. And then Jesus came. And he was the sacrifice in the flesh. And the work of the law, the sacrifice part of the law, was finished in Jesus. He accomplished it. He fulfilled it. We could not make ourselves righteous. We still can't. But we were bound to that law, to the law of sin and death. Now we're free and a new law has been established for us. Focus of the law before Jesus had become the sacrifice. But that's done now. Jesus finished it. He finished it. So is there now no more need for a law? Oh, there is. There absolutely is, because the purpose of God's law is to make us positionally righteous, to set us free, to to declare that we're paid for, and practically righteous. Both positionally righteous and practically righteous. The law is there to make us clean and acceptable, and to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And the law of the Spirit is the only way that can be accomplished or fulfilled in us. 
It's only by his spirit, but it can be fulfilled. And that is good news. We can live righteous lives. We are positionally righteous and we can live practically righteous as well. So why are we still so controlled by the pattern of the law of sin and death? We sin, we repent, we're forgiven. We sin, we repent, we're forgiven. We sin, we repent, we're forgiven over and over and over again. And Paul gives us an answer here in Romans chapter 8. This is our third truth for the morning. God's new law directs us to walk and live according to the Spirit. According to the Spirit. Verse 4 and 5 make that very clear. Walking according to the Spirit is the only way that the righteous requirement of the law can be accomplished or fulfilled in us. And the phrase according to here has a specific meaning. It means that we agreeably conform to a certain standard. We agreeably conform to the standard that God establishes through his spirit. It's, we, it's the standard that we agree to is the direction and the means of God's spirit. We've been set free in Jesus. Not to do as we please, but to do as he pleases. And God shows us what he pleases to do through the presence and voice of his spirit living in us. We cannot please God, verse 8, if we do not walk according to the spirit, but walk according to the flesh. And here's the, the cooperation between receiving salvation and living out our salvation. Um, I've been wrestling a lot with this. I've been wrestling a lot with Romans 8. But listen to this. This is how it's coming clearer to me. We were set free by God through Jesus and placed in Christ. We were set free from the law of sin and death, but we were given a new law, the law of the Spirit. And so please remember once again that the purpose of the law is not to hold us down. It's not to ruin our lives and oppress us. It's to make us more like Jesus. Here's what that cooperation between salvation and living out our salvation looks like. God's sovereignty meets man's will here. For example, we commune with God in prayer. In our position where we've been declared righteous, we can commune with God now in prayer. We can actually commune with him, but we have the responsibility to pray. We are taught by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals. We talked about that last week. But we are responsible to seek the guidance and help of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit produces spiritual fruit in us. But we are responsible to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit guides us into God's will. But we are responsible to live according to God's will. God's desire is that our positional righteousness is reflected in our practical day-to-day righteousness. God's Son, Jesus Christ, has made us positionally righteous. God's Spirit makes it possible for us to live righteous lives. So we're to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Our flesh 
puts our wants and desires first. Our flesh gives in to random impulses and desires. Our flesh decides where we're going and how we're going to get there. Our flesh leads us to conquer other people regardless of the cost. Our flesh is arrogant and selfish. Our flesh looks only at the temporary. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh is sinful. And even Paul saw this in his own life. None of that is news to you. You're as vulnerable to the control of your flesh as I am. Fight this battle all the time, and I think you do too. Paul writes in verse 7 that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's a pretty extreme word. Why would he say that it's actually hostile to God? That means that the mindset on the flesh causes enmity, enmity, enmity between us and God. It, it creates a reason for the opposition of God. I don't want that. I don't want the opposition of God. Do you? So God directs us to walk according to the Spirit. We're directed here to set our minds on the things of the Spirit in verse 6. And I love how God gives us a clear reward in his word in so many places, so many times. In verse 6, it says that the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Now, there's something that I do want. I want life and peace. Walk according to the spirit. Live according to the spirit. That's God's new law. Positionally, we are in Christ. Practically, we are to live according to the Spirit. How? How? Living according to the Spirit means that we're going to have to agree with the law of the Spirit. That shouldn't be too hard because that law leads to life and peace. That law leads to righteousness We become who we were created to be by living in step with the law of the Spirit. There's a word that I want us to start using in reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, This is another word that we're going to have issues with at first. Our sinful nature is going to light up when it hears this word. The word is control. Control. Our fourth truth today is this. God is calling us to surrender control of our lives to his spirit. And you can go ahead and squirm over that one if you need to. This has been mankind's battle from the very beginning. Satan himself struggled with surrendering to God's control. And so he left heaven and has been wreaking havoc here ever since. That desire to be in control ourselves has been present in us ever since as well. I want to be in control. I think I know best. I think I am the only one who truly has my best in mind. I think I am the most capable one to order my life, to decide where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. How could anyone know that better than I do? Boy, we're silly sometimes. Realistically, we actually trust our flesh more than we trust God. We think that we are the most likely person to bring ourselves life and peace. 
The first day of camp this past week, I taught all the campers about how our plans fail often, but how God's plans are perfect. And he can guarantee deliverance on those every time he can fulfill those plans. But we think we've got it all figured out. We think we can plan and live lives that will be pleasing to God. Lives where we will shape ourselves into the likeness of Jesus. Plans that involve us being very successful for God. And then there's the trust issue. Just like Adam and Eve, we get deceived into thinking that God doesn't really mean what he says. We believe lies about God and lies about ourselves. Adam and Eve bought into the lie that God's just trying to keep us somewhere lower than him. He just doesn't want us to be as successful or powerful as he is. We get deceived into thinking that God does not have our best in mind. And in his will, we think we might get hurt. In his will, we think we might be ridiculed. In his will, we think we may not get the life that we want. So we don't want to lay down our lives. We don't want to die to ourselves. We don't want to put the needs of others above our own. We might miss out. We don't want to miss out. The people around us are are working hard to make this life the best that it can be for themselves. Well, we want our lives to be the best that they can be for ourselves too. But we're being called here to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We're being called to practical righteousness, everyday righteousness, everyday being the person that God created us to be. We're being called by God to surrender our lives to being the way God desires our lives to be. And over and over in the Bible, God makes it crystal clear that his desire for us, like he says in verse 6, is life and peace. How do we live according to the Spirit? We surrender ourselves to God's Spirit. We surrender control of our lives to God's Holy Spirit. He gets control. He gets it. In Ephesians 5:18, Paul instructs the church to be filled with the Spirit. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that whole passage in Ephesians 5 has to do with walking wisely. Paul writes about understanding the will of God for our lives. How do we understand God's will for our lives? We live according to the Spirit, and the Spirit will reveal that to us. The Spirit will guide us along the path that God has designed for us. The Spirit will carry out practical righteousness in our lives. We'll live the lives God designed for us to live. Paul very intentionally contrasts drunkenness with walking according to the Spirit. And I think he chose to mention drunkenness because being drunk has to do with control. When we're drunk, we give up control. The alcohol takes over. Paul's instructing us to let God's Spirit take over. God's Spirit will lead us to life and peace. Drunkenness obviously will not 
But the point Paul's making has to do with control. Control. And Paul's instruction to be filled with the Spirit is very interesting. His words are definitely a command. Be filled with the Spirit. This is something that we have to do in order for God to shape us, in order for practical righteousness to be fulfilled in our lives. But Paul adds some very enlightening perspective on the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul acknowledges that we have the Spirit. In Galatians 3, he writes that the followers of Jesus had received the Spirit through faith, and he challenges them with these words in Galatians 3.3. He says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is what Paul's writing about in Romans 8. We're to surrender ourselves to being perfected by the Spirit in this life, day upon day upon day. So back in Ephesians 5.18, he instructs us to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul makes it clear that this filling is an ongoing thing. We're not filled once and done The filling has to happen throughout our lives. We've got to be being filled with God's Spirit. We've got to give Him control over and over again. Back to the fishbowl and Hulk Hogan. We are placed by God in Christ when we come to saving faith in Christ. We are placed in in Christ. But the battle here is not about just being placed in Christ and being positionally righteous. It's what happens in this space. It's what happens to us in Christ. It's the, it's the environment around us. It's the atmosphere around us where the battle for control goes on day after day after day. Is it the flesh that's going to control us? Or is it the spirit that's going to control us? And we've got to fight for this. We have to fight to give up control of this space around us in Christ and become more than just positionally righteous, but practically righteous as well. So that struggle goes on and on and on. That space around us in Christ is space that we are to intentionally fill with the Holy Spirit and His control. I've done a lot of studying and wrestling over this concept of being filled with God's Spirit. It's a necessity for us to walk according to the Spirit. We've got to be filled with God's Spirit. And I want to share... A few quotes with you as we close the message today. Um, There are many who put spiritual concepts into words better than I do. Um, These are from an author named W.A. Griswell. He's an author who wrote a book called The Baptism, Filling, and Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Wrote it back in 1973, I think. I appreciate the way that he addressed Paul's commands to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk according to the Spirit. About the filling, he says this, it says, in Ephesians 3.19, the Lord takes possession of the heart, soul, and life, filling the whole personality. It is thus the verb, it, it is thus the verb is used in Ephesians 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit means for us to be so controlled and motivated with the presence and power of the Spirit until our whole being is one perpetual psalm of praise and service to God. And we'll talk more next week about the result of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled is an ongoing process. And Griswell relates the filling of the Spirit to to climbing this chain of mountains. One after the other, we climb to the top and we have that filling experience, but there's another mountain to climb and another mountain to climb and another mountain to climb. And we're blessed with his filling at each peak along the way. Griswell addresses the topic of a second blessing. Um, There are some who believe that we do not receive the Spirit until sometime after we have been placed in Christ. I like how he addresses that thought, and I'll close with this quote from him about receiving and being filled with God's Spirit. This is what he writes. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for us when we repent, believe, trust, and are saved. Jesus bestows the Holy Spirit without measure. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is here, all of him. His possession of us may be partial, but our possession of him is total. He is with his saved always, fully, completely, eternally. But we deny him ourselves. We refuse him access to all of the compartments of our hearts. We keep him out of so many areas of our lives. But when we yield our members to Christ, we receive a second blessing. And when we further yield our members, we receive a third blessing. And when we further yield, we receive a fourth blessing. Do I believe in a second blessing? Yes, indeed. Does the scripture teach a second blessing? Yes, indeed. And the Holy Bible also teaches a third blessing and a fourth and a hundredth and a thousandth. As we keep on yielding and surrendering, the Holy Spirit keeps on blessing on and on and on again and again and again. Oh, for the constant refilling of the Spirit. Oh, for the constant refilling of God's Spirit. So that we can walk according to the Spirit. So that we can live according to the Spirit. And may God help us set our minds on things of the Spirit. And in Him find life and peace. I'm going to ask the ushers to come now. So we close our time together here. Let's pray together as they come. Father, I thank you for your grace, for your love, for your generosity. Thank you for your law, for establishing your law, so that we can become positionally righteous and practically righteous. So that we can, in Christ, now become more and more like Christ. And I thank you again that you're that close to us, that you're here 
living in us. That you have given us your presence, your power to face everything that we come against in life. You're here with us. Thank you for placing us in Christ. And thank you that you understand the battle that happens in our lives right now during this life. You understand that there's a battle going on between us and and our desire to walk according to the flesh rather than according to your spirit. You know that that's there and you've given us the strength to do this. You've given us your spirit. And oh God, will you help us? Help us to surrender control of our lives to your spirit. Every single area of our lives. Help us to walk according to your law, not our law. Help us to live according to the spirit, according to your presence, your guiding, your truth, your direction. All the opportunities that you will place in front of us. So that we can become practically righteous. We can become more and more like Jesus every day. And God, we want to meet you here in the middle. We want to meet you in this space where we're in Christ We want to surrender control. We want to be obedient. We want to walk with you according to your spirit. And in that, find the filling of your Holy Spirit who will do his work in us. God, I pray for each one in our church, myself included, that day after day after day, we would embrace the law of the Spirit and allow you to do what you want to do in us. Father, forgive us for our selfishness, for our pride, for keeping you out of areas of our lives. We surrender to you. Will you help us surrender tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that? so that we can allow your spirit to take control. We can be filled with your spirit and go into the life and peace that you have for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being here with us, for giving us your spirit. We give ourselves to you once again in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.